0: UMGoBlue.com, by fans, for fans, since
1: 1999. Hello, welcome to the UMGoBlue.com By the Numbers podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with
0: Clint Karringer.
1: And this week we're going to talk about By the Numbers, Michigan versus Nebraska. Well, Clint, what did you see?
0: Well, I saw the same thing everybody else saw. That was a a total domination in all three phases of the game. It was very... It was very satisfying, especially Big Ten opener, especially in front of a home crowd, and especially Nebraska Scott Frost and all the uh, all the residuals that go with that. So a highly emotional game and a great performance. Uh, the statistics actually back all that up across the phases. Um, when I when I ran the S P style numbers from my uh, game charting, the raw statistics and showing it lopsided actually made more sense because there was so much. Uh, of the reserves playing against the reserves in the second half, that that it actually made it closer than that game ever was in terms of Nebraska's efficiency and explosive rating. So um, it was from start to finish, top to bottom, end zone to end zone. uh, That was a Michigan kind of day. It was was great to see.
1: Well, I have to tell you, I thought Michigan – I had a good feeling. I thought Michigan would win easily, but I didn't expect it to be over for all intents and purposes in the first quarter. Um, you know, and, and you even take into account there was that, uh, you know, we had a couple of really bizarre plays. We had that pass pass safety thing that that was kind of bizarre. And then you had the, the muffed punt that got ran back. And of course, you know, the touchdown got called back, but what it showed to me is Michigan was dominating top to bottom in every phase. Um, you know, was there anything that surprised you about the game?
0: I I was very pleasantly surprised that it looked like we cleaned up the, the penalty situation outside of the uh, the, the return of the Khalid Hudson targeting penalty. Uh, so outside of that one individual pe- player, um, I, I thought that we looked uh, we looked more disciplined and, and cleaner in the way that we played. Certainly, there's as I've said uh, in past weeks, there's a chan or a a portion of that that is random based on how the referees see it. How the crew uh, tends to call the rules and all the rest of that stuff. But the first Big Ten crew, uh, there was still some questionable, you know, still, still some things that, that left me kind of shaking my head and wondering what was going on. But in terms of how Michigan was playing, how they were executing, uh, I thought that it was it was a, a sharp turnaround in terms of discipline and, and cleanliness of, of how they were executing, top to bottom
1: so question i have is you know and and this isn't even related to michigan this is just more an overall observation nebraska just really didn't look like they wanted any and and you know that that's kind of a a judgment but even some of the michigan players called it and i was specifically thinking of that that uh, donovan people's jones punt return Um, it it was an amazing run uh, undoubtedly but there was some really piss poor pursuit by Nebraska. I mean, some arm tackles, um, some guys who, who didn't look like they were going all out. I, I'm really, I'm really kind of surprised by that because Nebraska is a Big Ten team. They have a proud tradition, and you know, when I was looking at that, it, it had all the hallmarks of some players who maybe weren't. Uh, part of the program shall we say you know you're not recruited by the current coach and you wondered uh how excited they were to be uh getting dominated like that on on, on such a big stage at, at michigan stadium
0: yeah i agree with you i i don't have i don't have any insight really into why that would be but it certainly feels like some of our past coaching transitions you know and nebraska With 1997 being kind of the common year for those two programs with us actually winning a national title and then pretending to win a national title, uh, the the arcs of the program are are kind of similar also, you know, and the coaching changes and and not accepting mediocrity and, and trying to break, kind of really shake up the program structure, so to speak, in order to take the next step and then, you know, that and then the kind of return to the alumnus between Harbaugh and Frost. So there's there's a lot of parallels there over the last uh, 11 years. Um, so I, I think that your, your observation there is pretty, pretty spot on in terms of right now I think they've got some, some guys in that program that uh, are, are wondering whether they're going to fit the culture and the coaches are probably wondering the same thing. So the I I think Scott Frost will get it figured out. Um, you know, my preseason prediction and even my my pregame prediction gave them more credit on offense. I thought they were still gonna gonna move the ball even against our defense playing well, and they just they could not they could not because it looked like every single collision they they didn't want to be part of that collision. You know, and it's a uh, I just choose to kind of take a positive from it from Michigan's standpoint. You know, Nebraska will figure their problems out the same way we had to figure out our problems, and, you know, we move onward. We'll be all right.
1: The other thing that I was surprised by is even early in the game, you know, Michigan's offensive line, you know, has been a work in progress, and they just really just dominated the line of scrimmage. You know, I'm not surprised when Michigan's defensive line dominates. Um, I am surprised. To see our offensive line dominating, and they were really just kind of pushing them around. At will. Um, you know, there was a point where, uh, when you know, in the first quarter, it seemed like every time Karan Higdon got the ball, he was going to go, you know, all the way. Um, which, which again, you know, I, I think another thing that that I saw in the game is, I think Karan Higdon is definitely cemented himself as the number one back. Um, you know, again, take whatever softness from nebraska out of the equation um the office just seems to run a lot better with him as the primary back um and again nothing against chris evans you know they're they're a great tandem it's great to have two pretty solid running backs but he definitely seems to me to be the the number one guy
0: yeah i think he's the the best combination of power speed agility uh running inside running outside i, I think he's the i think he's the best all around i agree with you I, I think the, the few things that Evans does that, that are better in space and maybe as a receiver um, are certainly valuable. So between the two of them, I think we've got all the boxes checked. But I would agree with you that Higdon um, checks more boxes. It probably uh, is the better choice in, in more of the scenarios you know, for the running back.
1: In addition to Shea Patterson having a very strong game, Dylan McCaffrey got in, and you know, you mentioned uh, in the lead-up that you know we had our second and third string in, and Nebraska had their second and third string in. The thing that I really liked is that there didn't seem to be any drop-off either in the uh, um, the efficiency of the offense, or and I, I like that the play calling. You know, Michigan still went deep. Michigan still seemed. You know, you've talked about. You know, the offense wanting to be effective, you know, short, medium, and long, uh, you know, through all zones of the field. And it really looked like, um, uh, you know, I don't know if Michigan was trying to send a, a message, but they sure didn't hold back in that second half with the play calling.
0: Yeah, I, I like uh, Harbaugh's approach to that. Um, it's, he, he puts his subs in. He's going to put the second and third stringers in. He feels that the game is in hand, but that allows him to keep the playbook relatively open. He wants those guys to get experience running all of the plays. He's not going to put the subs in and then also reduce the playbook to the first page only. You know, He, he wants to put those guys in position where they're running plays as if they are the starter because that's, that's the developmental part of running his program. So I, I really, really like the fact that he does that. Uh, One of the byproducts is that, uh, you know, when they're successful, the scores, you know, get a little bit more lopsided. And I think some people see that in that only, right? They're only looking at the surface. But for me, I I look at it a little bit more as a coach, and I think it's very, very wise to continue uh, putting those guys on the second and third string into all of the actual situations in the game setting as possible. So uh, kudos to them and, and Let's hope that there's more opportunities to get those guys in there in the coming weeks.
1: I think we're also seeing the impact of the clearly defined redshirt rules, where you know exactly how much a player can participate. So there's not so much a reluctance in. Well, do you have to pretend air quotes that they're hurt? Uh, you know, basically you can you can play guys with with some kind of confidence that you're not going to be have to, you know burn a whole year of eligibility if you don't have to. Um, you know, I, I do think we're seeing something a little different. I mean, last year we had the quarterback roulette where I think I think it's, it's safe to say nobody was really, truly, truly very effective. Um, you know, it, it kind of went from, from, you know, one injury after another and and, and guys seemed to struggle. Um, in previous years, Harbaugh was reluctant to give the second string guy's reps. It was always the first string guy is getting the reps. And this season, um, you know, we've seen Dylan McCaffrey, uh, you know, we, we saw him, you know, take some reps and have some effectiveness even against Notre Dame, although that, you know, that was due to an injury. But he, he was in there, and, and you know, Harbaugh didn't seem reluctant to, to hold back the playbook. But we've seen him a lot this season, and it's interesting because, you know, you've talked about the contrast between um, Karan Higdon and, and Chris Evans. There does seem to be a different skill set between Shea Patterson and Dylan McCaffrey, and they both look pretty good right now. Um, what do you think that Dylan McCaffrey brings uh, as opposed to Shea Patterson?
0: I think the biggest difference in, for Patterson is the arm strength. It's the most, uh, most readily apparent. Uh, his, his arm is stronger, especially on the deep passes. Um, on the run, he uh, he still has a little bit more velocity on the ball, I think. So it's just just arm strength, first and foremost. Uh, part of that is talent, part of that's just God given ability. But you know, he's you know he's a year older, uh, so hopefully McCaffrey continues to uh, to to move along there. But um, he he wouldn't be the number two guy if Harbaugh had any questions about his arm strength. I don't mean to sound as if that's a question mark. I think uh, Shea Patterson throws the deep ball very well. Uh, in terms of what um, McCaffrey does well, that um, Patterson maybe is, is behind him, is I, I think from what I've seen, McCaffrey is a little bit more game as a runner, as a running quarterback. When they've run the read option, there's been a few times that, in my opinion, Patterson should have kept the ball if it was a true read option, Um, and he gave it to the running back. Now, this is, this could very much be by design, right? He could be being told, you know, give it more than you take it, and that's fine. And when McCaffrey's in there, he's actually reading and and making a decision. But as far as what I've seen on film and charting the plays, it seems to me that McCaffrey has a little bit more, his foots on the gas pedal a little bit more on those read option plays where he's actually going to take off. And I was, I, I think one of the most interesting plays uh, on a day like you said, full of kind of bizarre plays, was the 75 yard run that got called back. You know, McCaffrey's you know first or second play in, uh, he took off a uh, 75 yard run. And I think it was his first play. Read option gone. Uh, that that's encouraging. And even though that didn't hit the scoreboard. Um, it, it's on the film, and people people are going to have to respect the quarterback's ability to run as we get into some of the bigger spots. And we'll see if Shea Patterson is being coached to pull those, or if uh, if as we get into bigger games, he he actually pulls that and runs a little bit more effectively. We'll see.
1: You know, the thing about Dylan McCaffrey, <clears throat> excuse me, is he seems like he you know he's, he's a bigger guy and he has like deceptively fast speed for a large guy. You know, when he took off on that on that run, you, know, you you're watching it like, "Oh, he's not going that fast." And you know, he's taking these long strides. And then as he was, you know, starting to accelerate, you're like, "Wow, he's really fast." And you know, I, you know, it's interesting, you know, again, would, Shea is obviously the starter. I didn't mean to suggest that that, you know, he shouldn't be, but it's a great feeling um, you know, Last year, you know, as uh, when Spate went down, um, I think we were all looking to see what O'Korn had and what Peters had. And we saw that they really didn't have a lot. Um, and, you know, you went from, oh, well, maybe maybe this is it. And you, you realize that, you know, everybody was kind of struggling for a lot of reasons last year. You know, the offensive line, you know, definitely played a part. But it's interesting this year to see that Brandon Peters is is third string, and it definitely seems like a distant third string at this point from what we've seen.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. I do believe that he's dinged up. I I know that they mentioned a a knee injury earlier in the year uh, when McCaffrey came in the Notre Dame game, when Patterson went down with the cramps. People were obviously surprised that McCaffrey went in. Harbaugh let it it, um, be known and Peters was battling a little bit of a dinged-up knee, uh, we see an added knee brace on uh, on Brandon Peters. And when he's come in, um, they're trying to run the ball and pass the ball, but most of the plays called when Peters is in are, are handoffs, and he, he doesn't look like he's getting around very well. Um, he's, he's not quite as athletic as Patterson and McCaffrey are, but to me it looks like the knee is, is certainly... More of a factor um, than than we know. I, I think he's he's hobbled a little bit, so I, I that may still be the reason he's third. If not, then then kudos to McCaffrey for stepping up and and taking moving up the depth chart. You know, and, and we can we can choose to look at that as a positive for Dylan McCaffrey that he he utilized his red shirt year on the scout team to understand uh, how to be a college football player and and. Beat Peters out fair and square, and if that's the case, then that's that's good for the program and it's good for Dylan McCaffrey.
1: Well, I think uh, it's interesting in a 56 to 10 win that we're talking about touchdowns that woulda coulda. I mean, it very easily could have been out of hand, even worse. But not all the news was good. Um, you know, from an injury perspective, Rashawn Gary sat out part of the game, and. Uh, big fella looks good. You know, he was talking to the media this week and he was being very deceptive uh, uh, about his, his quote unquote injury saying that it was an equipment problem. Um, I, you know, I'm not too worried about him. Um, again, he didn't look too injured. I, I think it's a, a case of, of Michigan having plenty of depth and wanting, you know, knowing that they could rotate some guys through and knowing that um, it's better to save Rashawn and let him get, you know, healthier moving forward. Um, you know, the I think the biggest disappointment in that game was we once again had an ejection. And uh, you know, Kalik Hudson sat out the first half and, and got back in the second half and, and was ejected again for uh for a roughing. So I uh you know, four games, three ejections, uh twice Klee. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, again, we've talked about this in the past. Um, Don Brown believes you solve your problems with aggression. You know, at some point these ejections are going to catch up. Um, I guess the question I have for you, Clint, is, you know, even stepping away, uh, you know, from the college game for a second and thinking about it, you know, in in relation to the pro game, you know, there's a lot of discussion about um, roughing the quarterbacks and, you know, obviously there were some some uh, some high-profile discussions this week at the pro level. Here we're seeing Harbaugh talk about how he's you know he's not exactly he's needing some clarifications from the Big Ten on on uh, on the new rules on the helmet and hits. Um, you know, how do you think this is going to shake out? What's your opinion and as being a longtime observer of the game? I
0: First thing is, I think it's important that it's being addressed. The, the issues with CTE and long-term damage of concussions um, needed to be addressed. Uh, it was a significant concern that was affecting uh, participation at the younger level, and it's, it was it drove an awkward conversation, even you know, in my own family. As I, as I've got um, young sons and, and a daughter, and, and we're talking about their their future sport participation, and and it's the first thing that we think about is is the safety of whatever particular sports that they might um, participate in. So I I think it needed to be addressed when it was addressed, and and it was good. There's a huge difference to me in how the college game and the NCAA addressed it and how the the NFL addressed it. Um, The NFL started their... Uh, legislation of tackling rules after Tom Brady got injured in the pocket on a low tackle and was gone for the year. Their their whole model didn't start from protecting players from long-term detriment. It was about protecting assets, especially high-profile, high-value assets um, in that Brady case. Then, as the the story kind of evolves, they you know I think they're on the wrong side of a lot of the concussion story, right I think the NFL did more to <clears throat> stymie the development of the concussion research and take responsibility for um, the future of the game as all of that conversation was coming up where the I think the NCAA looked at the tackling. Looked at the impact. Looked at both using your head as a weapon and the damage to a defensive player, right, um, of using your head in the tackles, and focused specifically on those things. Made a rule, and they enforced the rule the best that they can. So it's it, it's a tough one to enforce. You and I have talked a lot about the confusion of trying to figure out what's targeting, what's not. It's a very wordy rule, um, but it's it's specifically focused on that in the NFL. Not only did was it your first high profile case of changing the way that we tackle based on a lower leg injury to a quarterback, also now you you're not allowed to land on top of the guy and 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 there was a case of an NFL defensive player who sustained an injury trying to change the way he went into a tackle and he and he hurts his leg, you know so two very different approaches came from two very different motivations, I think. I think the NCAA approached it uh, more holistically with the game and the athletes in mind, and I think the NFL, as they are prone to do, approached it in terms of protecting their business assets and um, assuming that they were going to be able to throw some some time and and money at the problem and come out smelling like roses, and, and they're still... They're still fighting it. They're still circling back to the drawing board trying to figure it out. So I, I hope they get it figured out. I think, the, I think college has it all. I think college has a fine approach with uh, some small improvements still coming. The NFL is re- returning to the drawing board multiple times per season. So uh, in my mind, the, the college game is doing it right.
1: You know, it's interesting because the NCAA gets a lot of criticism, much of it deserved. But I agree with you in this case. I think that that they have a much more reasonable uh, rule, and and again, it's tough to enforce it. But I I think that you know they're on the right path. Um, you know, as far as like the player, you know, NFL, the players' weight coming down on the quarterback. Listen, we have all seen examples where a defensive player hammers you know a quarterback into the turf. Okay, and you know, again, it, it's 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 abusive, and, and you know, not lately, but you know, there there are the the highlights of a defender getting in and just driving a quarterback into the ground. What we've seen in the last couple of weeks is not that. I mean, you know, there's a there's a lot of talk about what a football play is. You know, when a defender comes in and tackles you know, sacks quarterback and, and lands on him, there's a there's a big difference between driving him into the turf and falling on him inadvertently. And I understand that, you know, the devil's in the details of how you enforce that. But I agree, you know, the NFL, I think, is on the wrong path there. Um, Now, again, the NFL has all kinds of issues with CTE um, that that they're going to be unraveling for a while now. Um, And, and, you know, as you mentioned, there are a lot of discussions happening in families and, and uh, you know, in all sports. I mean, and let's be, let's be honest here, it's not just football. I mean, there's the question of, uh, you know, collisions in soccer. There's the, the question of collisions in, in wrestling. I mean, some of the research for CTE says it may not necessarily or it may not only be the concussions. It may be constant small hits. So there are all these different things that, that you know, research is ongoing. And, uh again, the big thing is for, in whatever sport you play, to have really good coaches teaching you good technique and, and officials enforcing that technique. And I think that that's one of the things that the NCAA is trying to work on. And I think even a lot of the, the younger leagues are, are trying to get an awareness on that, realizing that, you know, if they don't get a handle on it, it, it could, you know, damper participation and even, you know, lead to the to the constriction of the sport. Um so yeah but but so the question I have is back to cleek is um again this wasn't you know I guess the question I know you got to play all out you know for the whole game but on the other hand this game was kind of out of hand and it, it was a it was an unneeded penalty you know it, it this was not a um game's on the line you're trying to make a big play um I I don't you know um Coach Harbaugh seemed to be seemed to not have a lot of judgment on uh, whether Khalil Hudson was was uh, was out of line or I mean he he didn't seem to be criticizing the officials so it's interesting I, I it, for me understanding and seeing how our defense plays it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out over the next couple of weeks and throughout the season.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to reiterate a point that you made last week about the the reputation portion of it. I I think it is becoming clear that there are some sharper eyes on Michigan's defense for whatever reason. Um, Three out of four weeks uh, is certainly a trend that that is not in our favor. Two on the same player in consecutive weeks uh, means that they're probably looking specifically at Khalid Hudson. And then if you remember last week in the SMU game, wasn't called originally by the referee on the field. It was buzzed down from the replay booth to look at that targeting call on a play that was between the tackles. And I think that was Harbaugh's point in the press conference. Like, well, listen, you know, how 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 closely are we legislating this? How how, how closely are we calling this? And, and we're looking all – it's a mass of humanity in there. You know, how, how do you expect defenders to really – Control their body position in, in that in that mass of humanity inside those piles between the tackles. So, the play uh, against Nebraska was not that. Uh, I think Khalid could have. I think could have gone at that tackle. He could have entered that t- tackle differently and avoided it. Uh, still, I haven't seen anything that that is egregious and looks like somebody um, trying to uh, trying to break the rule. But that you know, intent doesn't really have anything to do with it. It's much more about the the result. And he's put himself in danger of having that penalty called for two weeks in a row. And I think that there's some evidence that they're going to look closer at our defense and and specifically Khalid Hudson. So uh, I I would imagine that's going to be a coaching point very specifically uh, in the weeks coming up.
1: So one of the interesting things – as I was looking through your analysis, Michigan has now jumped up to fifth in the national S&P analytics. And, uh, you know, that's, I, I can't imagine that's a bad thing. It, it's almost—it's a little surprising, uh, but I guess it shows how much they've dominated in the last couple weeks.
0: Well, the the thing in the S&P specifically that, that drives them to the top that, I, that we don't feel, I think, as fans, um, is the, the Bill Connolly has something that he calls the, the post-game win probability. So the best way to think of that is when you take all the numbers and you drop them into this algorithm, it tells you if you were to play that game a hundred times, how often would each team win? The, the Notre Dame game, those statistics, if you drop that into his black box, Michigan's going to come out winning that game 58% of the time. You know, more times than Uh, Notre Dame does Uh, that particular portion obviously we don't feel that way right so even though the numbers without emotion are saying that Michigan was 58 percent of a win on that on that particular game we know the reality it was zero it was a loss so we are carrying the feeling of underperforming in that game on the road um, against a ranked team and and all of that stuff that we talked about we still feel that, but the numbers are saying statistically, you know, Michigan wasn't far off from winning that game, and I think that that's where there is alignment. I think when you and I talked about what we saw, you in the stands and me uh, kind of charting it and, and paying attention to the statistics, we felt like the the bad start from the defense was was both shocking and that was the difference. And since then, since halftime of the Notre Dame game, Michigan's been on a roll. They've shut down Notre Dame in the second half of that game. Um, their worst game was you know, three bad plays against SMU. Um, so that's, that's what you're seeing in the national statistics. The only other teams that are, that are executing as cleanly and, and as Michigan are are those, those four teams in front of them. Those are the teams that are really dominating the bad teams have beaten some some mediocre-to-good teams. Um, Alabama's just on another planet right now, but um, everybody else is right in the mix there, in in my opinion. From number two through probably 12 or 13, um, there's going to be a lot of jumbling around that that happens here as those teams start to play each other.
1: All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast by the numbers. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.